it is a super, super day for sure. And I know some of you think it can't be that super because there will be no blue and silver uniforms on the field today. But but there's still another super reason why super day. And Ben, do you know why it's such a super day? Can you think of anything big that's happening besides a football game? Maybe there's going to be 17 candles that are going to be put on a cake in front of you. Happy birthday, Ben Miller. Oh, I remember a day when you could have a birthday cake that didn't require a fire extinguisher nearby. Those those are the good old days. I, I must tell you, though, um, it's not always bright and sunny. Sometimes there are difficult seasons in our life, and certainly my sister-in-law, Jenny Crum, went through one of those crazy times in her life. She got involved into drugs and into the hard stuff. Uh, she used needles all the time. She would drive to downtown Dallas uh, where she would be around other people who were involved in drug use. She would leave the house and be gone all night. I mean, she just, I just, she did the rounds for sure. She was surrounded by all sorts of abuse. She watched people overdose, and she was constantly dealing with addicts, abusers, and victims who lost their lives too soon. She watched people die. She went in and out of the hospital month after month. But finally, she knew she couldn't stay in that lifestyle forever. And so she finally decided to get out. And Jenny is no longer a night shift trauma nurse in Dallas. Oh, you were thinking something else, weren't you? Shame on all of you for thinking that. Instead, she volunteers... as a daytime nurse in an inner city camp for disadvantaged kids. Helping is in her blood. What Jenny Crum does is she is a registered nurse. She is a devoted wife, and she is an amazing mother of two beautiful girls. But most importantly, she is a follower of God. Her decision to work amidst the drugs, the violence, and the heartache was not based on money, the adrenaline rush of working in an ER, or the pride of the job. Jenny chose that field because she believes that God has gifted her to be a nurse, and He has called her to serve Him in that capacity. Nursing is not just what she does, it's a part of who she is. You see, following Jesus is not just a series of actions that you do, it's an identity that compels you, that motivates you to do those actions day in and day out. In his book, Atomic Habits, author James Clear makes several statements in his opening chapter that I want to share with you this morning. He says, what we do is tied to who we are, and who we are is tied 
to what we do. Clear does something that really kind of turns modern thinking upside down. And he calls people to stop making goals. He says everybody is about the making of goals. He says the problem is, is that making a goal is not motivation enough to actually achieve that goal. It is something that is far out. It's oftentimes vague. And sometimes it can even be unrealistic. And that is not what people want to hear these days. We have little kids who say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be president. I want to be this. And everybody says, oh, well, if you can dream, you can be it. Well, the fact is, is that having a goal to be president doesn't make you president. Having the goal to be a professional athlete does not make you professional athlete. Deciding that your goal is to be a millionaire does not make you a millionaire. The problem is making the goal doesn't accomplish anything. Just think about it. If just saying a goal out loud means it's going to happen, about two-thirds of our workforce would be playing sports for a living, all of them would be making millions of dollars each year. Well, wouldn't that be great? But the thing is, is that there are lots and lots of people who want to be president, but there can only be one at a time. Clear states that instead of dreaming big, you need to, this is a weird phrase, implement a system of small improvements. He says, this is what you have to do. You have to come up with small things that you do every day. Now, let me tell you, folks, that is not motivating. Motivating is, I'm going to play for the NBA someday. That is exciting. That's something I want to get behind. But he says this, no, no, no. Instead of saying, I want to be an NBA star, he says, create habits that you perform each day like dribbling a ball for 30 minutes, like shooting free throws until you can knock down 10 in a row, or running lines after practice is over and pushing your body beyond exhaustion. But who wants to put in all of that hard work? Especially if a fourth grader decides he wants to be an NBA player, but by the time he's a grown adult, He's five foot eight. Does that mean that his goal is gone? Does this mean, as Clear says, he is now a failure because he had a desire, a goal that he didn't realize probably couldn't happen? And so he says, don't make a goal to be an NBA player. He says, turn that into an identity of who you are. He says, don't be somebody wants to be in an NBA, be a person who works hard now. That is your identity. Dribbling, shooting, and running doesn't make you an NBA star, but remember, if your goal is to be a hard worker and to try your best, then your goal can easily be achieved and it can have real life results. Clear says that we shouldn't be motivated by this goal that may or may never happen, but instead an identity. And this is where I want to get to this morning. 
you have to find your identity and allow that to change your daily actions and your habits. Now, it sounds like I might be specifically speaking to this group over here and some of you young folks over here and maybe spread out. I'm not talking to those who are just under 18 years old. In fact, I especially appeal to those of you who maybe are a little bit older and maybe you achieved those goals and you say, I actually got what I wanted, in which case you might find out that it wasn't as great as you thought it would be. Or maybe for some of you who are a little bit older and you always wanted this goal, you always wanted to write a book, you always wanted to get your master's degree, you always wanted to play in the NBA, and it didn't happen. And I want you to know that your identity is not in your profession or your bank account, or where you work at. You have to find your identity and allow that to change your actions. And one of the things I really like about James Clear's book is that he says this. He says, if you want to be a blank, continually ask yourself, what would a blank do? And then do it. So let's have a little fun here for you. It's Sunday morning. It's okay. We can have fun. I just throw something out here. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? If you want to be a mime, you're doing a really good job. Get out of the box. What's something you want to be? You've already been it. Okay. Somebody else, tell me, what's something you want to be? A dancer. Okay, if you want to be a dancer, you have to ask yourself the question, what does a dancer do? Right? A dancer does what? Dances. All right? David does it in the Bible. He does it with all of his might. I don't know what it looks like, but I wish there was a video somewhere of David dancing with all of his might. If you want to be a dancer, you have to say, okay, there's going to be some things that I have to do day in and day out. This is what a dancer does. A dancer gets up early in the morning and does their routine and does their stretches and all these different things. They practice their choreography. They go it over and over and over again. What do you want to be? You say, somebody wants to be a good spouse. Do we have anybody in here who says, I want to be? Ask yourself, what does a good spouse do? What does a good spouse do? A good spouse, you know, will wake up and, and get the coffee ready for their spouse. That's one thing that a good spouse does. A good spouse stays quiet. Man, there you go. Oh, that's a lesson that I need to learn, Dr. Moore. A good spouse, you know, you got to know when to talk and, and not to talk. Do what? He, he needs to take his own advice. That's right. That's right. Because a, a good spouse... Wait, how come you said he? Why can't we say she? I mean, what, what, what's going on here? Now it's attack of all the husbands here? Man, I'm in trouble here. What's going on? I know. I know. Yes.
Uh, he, he ought to. The, and, there, and there's some motivations in place to make sure he does it. You know, we talk about these goals, but I, I love this, and there's so many other things I've got from this book. I haven't finished it, and I, I do need to confess, I haven't been reading it, I've been listening to it. But for me, that it counts all the same. So, um, But it's I, I really have enjoyed this book. But it, he says, you know, you have to have these, these daily habits that you get into, and he talks a lot about how you actually start good habits, and he also talks about how you have to get rid of bad habits, and it's super fascinating. But, but what I really want us to get at is the fact that in order for you to, to, to be someone, you have to start living that out. Mark chapter 6 is an action-packed chapter, no doubt. Jesus goes to visit his hometown. That doesn't go as well as people thought that it might. He's going to send out his apostles. They're going to heal and they're going to teach. That's an exciting time. There's going to be an execution of someone he dearly loves. Jesus is going to feed the masses, walk on water, and heal scores of people, many who simply touch the edge of his cloak. That is all in Mark chapter 6. So much stuff is going on. So many things are happening, happening, but right in the middle of it, Jesus wants to do something. It, you could almost say that Jesus wants to do nothing that is really, really important. It seems so small and almost insignificant, but what he does reveals not just his actions, but more importantly, it reminds us and identifies who he is. Remember, this is Mark's question he asks over and over again. What's the big question people keep asking in Mark? Who is this man? Who speaks like this? Who has the authority? Who can cause the, the storms to be calm and the water to be completely serene? Who is this man? In fact, later on, at, towards the end of his book, Mark is going to have somebody else help answer that question while Jesus is on the cross and it's answered by somebody we wouldn't expect. But Mark so desperately wants you to ask this question. Who is this man? But we can't get to the end of Mark just yet. We're still in chapter 6. And something big has just place. And for those of you who are fans uh, of The Chosen, this is going to be in uh, season three, episode two. It's a really fantastic one and, and brings to light this idea of how scary it was when Jesus turns to his apostles and says, I have chosen you. I've called you apostles. And that has a completely different meaning for us. We interchange apostle, disciple, apostle, disciple. But for them, that word is the Greek word apostolos. And it literally means what? A messenger. He says, you are my messengers. And he says, I'm sending you out. Two by two. I'm, I'm sending you out. 
and you are going to go and you are going to teach and you are going to heal. And they start looking at each other like, you mean us? Really? You're sending us out? How do we do this? What's going to happen? And he starts talking about, okay, here's what you need, your do's and don'ts. He says, your packing list, forget about it. Don't take an extra tunic. Don't take extra sandals. You don't need any of that. Don't take a bag to put money in. He says, you're going to go and you're going to find a place. And when you find somebody who will will house you, who will home you, you stay in that place. You reside there. You don't go and try to find a better place if somebody offers. You stay there. And if you show up in a town or a house and they won't welcome you, dust, uh, shake the dust off of your sandals and leave that place. He's saying, look, You're going to have to depend on other people. You're going to have to depend on God. And some of them aren't going to be that dependable. And some of them are going to say things that are hurtful. And they're going to try to run you out. And you say, you just got to keep on going. And they do that. We don't know anything about the time limit. All we know is they're going to come back together still in Mark chapter 6. And guess what? How are they responding? Can anybody guess? They are fired up they are amazed they're absolutely amazed they come back and they start sharing stories of healings of things that they did it's really exciting they get caught up what happened when jesus started healing people what did the masses do they started following so you can almost imagine that these apostles have gone out they've been teaching What Jesus has been teaching, they've been healing with the power that he has given. And all of a sudden, it's reasonable to believe that they have kind of become mini rock stars. And people are starting to follow them. This is really good. First, they got to witness what Jesus was doing, and now they're actually doing it. They're out there. This is awesome stuff. They come back, there's high fives, there's fist bumps, everybody's sharing the story about how the lame man was walking, the blind can see, and the, hit, the sick are well, and they are so excited about all the things that they have done. Jesus sent them out to heal and teach, and it's exactly what they did. Everybody is excited about it. And you can imagine as they converge back together that there's more and more people who are coming in. And then Jesus does something really, really crazy. Jesus wants to remind them, it's not what you did. It is who you are. Listen to this simple statement he makes amidst all the excitement. I mean, basically, Jesus is going to kill the momentum. The time is ripe. Everybody's ready. The apostles are doing amazing things. And he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some you see over the last few weeks potentially months it's been all about the doing and the doing 
and the doing. And they're excited about it. They love it. This is, this is what God has me doing. This is, this is all that I need right now. And there's people out there and they need to be healed and we've got to go do this. And Jesus says, stop. You need rest. Because it's not about what you do. It is about who you are. And Mark is going to ask the question over and over again. Who is this man? And ultimately we're going to hear, he is the Son of God. That's who he is. It's not about the healings. It's not about the miracles. It's not about the teachings. But more than anything else, Jesus is Son of God. He is the Son of the Father. His Father is God Himself. That is absolutely His identity. Listen to what He doesn't say to the apostles after their amazing whirlwind trip. He doesn't give this seize the moment type of speech. He doesn't say we need to make more time for adoring fans who are now following you. There is no crowd assembling or, share, or sermon being shared. Jesus displays that who you are is more important than what you do. He is first and foremost the Son of God. Jesus knows and is trying to convey to his followers that our identity is not found in crowds or in miracles or in adoration. He is the Son and He wants to be near His Father. That's who He is. We can spend a lot of time about developing positive habits, maybe reducing some negative habits. But really, as James Clear points out, there's really no such thing as a bad habit or a good habit. It is just, does this habit lead you closer to your identity of who you are becoming, or is it taking you further and further away? And so I just want to ask. It's a Mark question, so you know it's coming. Who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? Not what have you done. Not what are your degrees. Not what good things or bad things have happened to you. We could all sit around and you can identify as someone who considers themselves lucky or someone who is grieving or someone who is just making it by. You may say, well, I'm a single mother or I'm a blue-collar worker. But what truly is your identity? You can put your identity into a lot of things. But I want you to know only one of them has everlasting rewards. And that's being a follower of Jesus, a lover of God. That is our identity. 
And so this leads us to my last big question. What does a follower of Jesus do? Now, very broadly, they follow Jesus. But I want you to ask yourself this question. You're about to leave this place. Hopefully you'll hang around for class. But then after that, you'll leave this place. And you're going to find yourself, maybe maybe you'll be uh, at a restaurant. You're a follower of Jesus. What does Jesus do in that restaurant? You're going to go to work tomorrow, many of you. And you are a follower of Jesus. What does Jesus do? You spread the word of God. You heal people. You love people you don't like. Did you get that? Because that's what Jesus did. You, you, you pray for people. You love people. Because that is who, that's who we are. We are the body of Christ. And so this week, I want you to ask yourself over and over again, if you identify yourself as a lover of God, a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself over and over again, what does a follower do? What does Jesus do in this situation? And then do it. Love people. Serve God. Show compassion to the person who cut you off the road. I said it, and I mean it more for myself than any of the rest of you. Wash the dishes for your spouse. Make those phone calls. And love people. And we do that, not because that's what we do, but it's because who we are. And because we love Jesus. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that you join us as we sing a song of invitation, as we do what Christians do this morning. And that's praise God. Let's stand and sing.